My revival. My revival. We've been talking about revival, but today I want to emphasize that uh, God wants you to have a personal revival. To see revival in the church or to see revival in our community or city or our nation or the world, it really all begins with an individual. Think about it this way. Uh, Jesus was crucified. He was buried. And somebody tell me what happened on the third day. There was a revival that took place. Amen. He came back to life. He was revived by the Spirit of God. And, and as a result of his own revival, we have an opportunity to have revival ourselves, salvation. All of that is provided through Jesus Christ. The question is, will we draw near to him so that we can receive everything that he died on the cross to provide for us? Amen? So we've been talking about revival, and we've had a, uh, a key scripture for this series that I'll read again this week, and then next week we wrap up. I think you're really going to enjoy next week because we're going to take a, uh, and, and visit David, the psalmist, again. We're going to visit him as the king of Israel. And there's a story about him bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of David for the purpose of the presence of God being with his people. Amen? That's what revival is. It's all about God's presence being with us. You know, there's uh, what's known as religion, and then there's a relationship, a living relationship with God. I can keep a list of of rules, or I can follow the one who died on the cross to give me life and walk into that life a little bit more each and every day, amen? Work out my salvation with fear and trembling unto God, that, that reverent respect that God deserves. Why does he deserve it? Because he is the creator of all things. He's our creator. He made us in his image. And while there was original sin, a fall in the garden, and a choice was stripped from us by that first Adam, one man's choice, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, died on a cross and returned choice to us that we could actually choose to stop eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and begin to eat from the tree of life again. Amen? Eternal life. And so this passage out of Isaiah 57 and 15, if you've not been with us or it's your first time online, I'm going to read this and, and recap what we've been focusing on out of this passage where revival is concerned. Isaiah 57, 15, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity. The holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. Now, if you remember uh, me pointing out last week that we have a cause to live for, and we need the courage to live for the cause of sharing Christ with the world. But to have that courage, we've got to have a contrite spirit. We've got to have a humble spirit. That broken spirit is one. When we come to that place of recognizing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. All because of his love for us, I remind you. No other reason that he loved us so much that he would lay his life down willingly. And he even said that. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. And why did he do that? The Bible says for the joy. Somebody say joy. joy. It's for the joy that was set before him. And what was that joy? You. 
You were the joy that was set before Christ when he was dying on the cross. Every person that has ever lived or ever will was the joy that was set before Christ. I know that because the Bible teaches us that before the foundations of the earth, the Lamb of God was slain. Before anything was created, there was the intention that God would give his only son to die in our place should should we fall in sin and make a place for us to be redeemed. Somebody say, bought back. See, he's the, the Bible says he's the propitiation, purchase price for our sins. He paid the price. We never could. I, I'm not good enough to pay the price for my own sins. I needed Jesus. And it was at that revelation, the moment that I heard the gospel as a kid. I, I want to say today we're going to do baptism. I'm so excited. Baptism is one of my favorite things. And I think the reason why it's one of my favorite things in the Bible is that it's an outward profession. It is that outward confession of an inward faith that's taken work in you. That, that I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He gave his life so that I could have eternal life. I believe that in my heart and I confess it with my mouth. And let me say this. There's nothing greater when it comes to an outward confession of your faith in Jesus Christ than following him in baptism. Being buried, as the Bible teaches, in that watery grave. Leaving the old man and, and, and coming up out of the water. And the Bible talks about that we come up to walk in a new and a living way. It's no longer a way of death. No, no longer that place, if you will, of depression and discouragement. All of us face those things. It's no longer that place of, of self-loathing and unforgiveness. Uh, begin with yourself. When you don't, if you can't forgive yourself, it's hard to forgive somebody else. Can you say amen? But when you understand Jesus Christ's forgiveness for you and that you didn't deserve it and he's the only one. He's the only one that could pay the price, could have said no, but wasn't going to do it because you needed him. You needed him to rise and take that place, amen? And, and he rose, and he took that place. His own personal revival on the day of the resurrection is what solidified for every person that would follow after him that it wasn't a myth. It wasn't just a story. There was a revelation behind every bit of what he was teaching his disciples, a revelation behind every Old Testament scripture that the Bible talks about the law and the prophets that they pointed the way to Christ. You've heard me say many times in this room that the law is the schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. And reading out of this passage and what God says that how we are to approach him with a contrite, a humble, a broken spirit and a repentant spirit really comes down to what the law does to us. When you begin to read the scriptures, you're like, man, I, I'm messing up that, man, I really, I've sinned there, I've sinned there, I've sinned there, I've sinned there. And you come across the one that says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Say light. God's glorious light, all that he is, his brilliance, his purity, his holiness. That's what he's saying, that he dwells in the high and lofty place, in that holy place. With those, he invites us to be part of those that will dwell with him if we'll only be contrite and humble and broken and repentant of our sins see the law points those sins out not to condemn you but you might come to a point of conviction that says i don't measure up what do i do i need a somebody i need a savior and jesus 
Old Testament and New Testament points to a redeemer. And that when we reflect in the mirror of God's word and it reflects back that we don't measure up, we say, I need a savior. Well, here's Jesus, the only one that ever lived perfect, gave his life willingly, died, and then rose again that you could have a life and a life that's more abundant. You're not meant to live, if you will, like a worm in the dirt and you're just not good enough. See that those places you don't measure up, that God made a way for you to measure up. And his name is Jesus. And if you can recognize that in faith, what happens is he all of a sudden, as the Bible says, that we're translated out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's a miracle that takes place by God. It's a miracle when you accept Christ and that burden lifts up. You know that you have eternal life. And then you begin to live it out and you're perfect from that point on. Raise your hand if you've achieved perfection in marriage, in family, in friendship. You know, as a boss, as, a, as, as, as an employee, in every area of life, you could look at it. Have you achieved perfection in any of them? Now, let me give you what James said. James said that any man that tames his tongue, that, that it's perfect in speech, that never says something wrong, is a perfect man, is a perfect woman. That nothing rolls off your tongue that, that hurts or condemns or, or diminishes other people because understand that God, his intent was to lift mankind from that miry clay. You know what the miry clay is? You ever, you ever walk through miry clay? When I was growing up as a, a little boy, we uh, had a farm and we worked on the farm and every once in a while you get these spots in the field and they'd be really, really wet. And if you jumped off the tractor, now remember I was a little boy then probably have a little more strength in these thighs today but I would jump off that tractor and I'm I can't move miry you get mired down way down you can't you can't pull your feet out of it now I, I can remember when I really started jerking and then boom my boot would come off and I'm in it then with my sock come on right we get bogged down by life and all the miry clay when you think about it the flesh works of the flesh in life is the miry clay but God came to give you his spirit knowing that the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit but God wants you to win that battle and that's why he sent the Holy Spirit that's why Jesus prayed to the father and said father right send the Holy Spirit told his disciples I won't leave you orphans I'm not gonna leave you alone I'm gonna leave all by yourself I'm gonna pray the father and I'm going to pray that he'll send the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, somebody say revival. revival. Revival took place on the day of Pentecost, let me tell you. But the way revival takes place is to do what Jesus says to do. To be obedient. To actually act upon what his word declares over your life. The disciples are like, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Hey, look, is all the power, are you going to kind of give us the authority to, to deal with the politics that are around us? To deal with all those kind of problems in a fleshly way? That's not for you to know when the, that's in the Father's hands for my return and when all that's going to happen. Uh, you go wait in Jerusalem. Yeah, but I just want to know, Lord. Is it going to happen 10 years from now, maybe 15, you know? Go, go wait. Go wait. What did they do when they waited? They were humble, contrite, broken spirit. Now, look, they, they've got joy in them, but I'm telling you, they were, right, a humble and a contrite spirit the Lord will not refuse. I don't want God to refuse my prayers. 
And what I know is he will not refuse the prayers of somebody that's humble and contrite before him. And so they go and they wait and they pray. And the Bible says when they are all with one accord, say one accord. I'm telling you, it takes a lot of humility, humility to get along with some other people. Come on. Yeah, you start getting a community of believers together. Do you know you all have some different opinions about some things? Did you know that? But I don't mind it because God made you unique. The thing is, is how can we make sure that we stay together in unity? See, the Bible says that we're to guard the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And where's that found? In a relationship with Jesus. What's this referring to? Just, just be close to Jesus. Draw close to Jesus. I found my best moments in life. God's presence, his presence there when I'm close to Jesus. But when I get close to Jesus and I start getting some things figured out and worked out and life's going pretty well. Yeah, I got this. I got it. I got this figured out. Come on, anybody else? We all kind of get in that place where it's like, whoa, wait. So I, I actually move away from being humble and contrite because I think I got it figured out. And the reality is if I've got something figured out, it's because of God anyway. My gifts. Do you know the brain in your skull? That's gross, Pastor. You know your brain was given to you by God, the creator. Your heart. Your mind, your soul. Your emotions. All those things are meant to work together. For your benefit. But under God's leadership. Amen. His spirit. Ephesians 5.14 says this. The holy writings say, wake up. You who are sleeping, rise from the dead and Christ will give you light. I think we all fall asleep in our mindsets. I think the world in a big way, I think America in a big way has fallen asleep. I think that as we watch so much of this stuff that's happened where you see people just fighting and bickering and back and forth, is anybody tired of it? I'm weary. Weary of the division, the discord, the dissent, the hatefulness. And while there may be, you know, biblical views on this side and not on that side, or you could flip it around and say, well, that's kind of biblical view and that's not. And those arguments could go back and forth. We're eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that's why we're okay to curse our brother and use the same mouth to bless God. Hmm. Was Cain and Abel brothers? One found favor with God, the other didn't. Do you know it was, it was jealousy of favor with God that caused one to murder the other? <laughs> How many of you know that that kind of infighting and just anger and malice, frustration, that all those things are not going to cause God to move among us? I heard the scripture, I could say that as... As the last, you know, 15 to 20 years of my life, wars around the world, all the stuff that we see. Jesus said you'll have wars and rumors of wars. But take heart, he's overcome the world. We're meant to found our, find our peace in Christ. We're meant to find our own revival in him. And if we'll, if we'll choose to live that, if just one of us choose to live that, and then another, and then another, and another. See, that's what was going on on the day of Pentecost when revival hit was somehow they worked through that 
to come into one accord under God and to look to him, not so much one another, but to look up and to call unto God. And they were unified around the personhood of Christ. They had drawn their hearts near to Christ. And they called upon God and he sent the spirit of God and it revived them. So much so, I told you a few weeks ago that 3,000 people in one day gave their hearts, one day gave their hearts to Christ. How many are you ready for 10 services in this church on a Saturday and a Sunday? We say that. We say that. The reality is, is that seven out of 10 people do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ in Colorado Springs. And then you could throw in there that how many of them that, you know, well, I believe in God and I'm a Christian, but they're nominal in their faith. They don't attend. They don't, they forsake the gathering together of the brethren. They don't actually have relationships. They still live like the world. And I want you to know something. I want you to know that that's part of the problem is, is, is it the, that our witness gets marred when it doesn't look like Jesus. You know, a, a few weeks ago I talked about sometimes I see the posts that are on Facebook from people I know that are believers, and I just got to tell you, it doesn't look like believers. It doesn't look like people who are following Christ. It looks like people that are caught up in the things of the world. I'm not telling you you don't have freedom of speech. You do, and I served our military. I served our country, and I fought for that right, but I'll tell you that while you're a citizen of the United States and you have free speech, you're a citizen of heaven, and there's certain things you should not say. I believe it breaks the heart of God and it should break our heart. It should bring a humility. It should bring that contrite spirit. And there should be a crushed spirit in us over some of the things we see where people just put people down. The hate. And I can tell you, you go read the words of your Savior. It was not in him. And I said that I think two weeks ago that the Bible says that offense, there was no offense found in him. It basically, here's, here's what that means uh, when it says no offense was found in him. You got to look at it like a flock of birds flying over the ocean. Let me tell you, being down in Florida sometimes. You know, what are those? My, my, my. You know, they, they, they drive you crazy. Don't pull any food out on the beach because they're, they're all over you, right? But, but it's like birds flying over the ocean and flying and flying and flying and nowhere to land and rest. You'll see out there in the middle of the ocean, you'll see these buoys or something like that, right? And they'll be swarming around there, and one will take it, and the other one will push the other one off. And there was no offense found in him. It's just like that. The devil flying over Jesus, hovering over Jesus as he walked this earth. That what happened was he flies over Jesus, and then there's no place to land. There's no offense in him. But see, the devil can land on things in our life if there's offense in us in any way. He lands on that and he uses it. And he rests himself right there and he will stay as long as you allow him. As long as you hold on to unforgiveness. Let me say there's no peace. There's no freedom for you. Because the devil's right there tormenting you. Come on now. It's better than you're letting on. Some of you are dealing with that in your life. No offense was found in him. Why? Why is that? Because the Bible says Jesus humbled himself and he became a servant to mankind. A servant even to the point of death. And not just any death, but death on a cross. Cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. Jesus took your curse. Let him take your curse. Don't pick it back up. Don't pick those offenses back up. Be a humble, contrite, broken, and repentant people so that God can revive you and the 
presence of the living God can live in you and flow through you into the lives of those around you. Can you say amen? I'm going to read that to you again. The holy writings say, wake up, you who are sleeping. Rise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Psalms 85, 1 through 7, the psalmist knew something about revival. He knew something about the, the need of a revival and, and, and all of God's blessings that, that are there for us if we'll just turn to him. He says, Lord, you poured out your blessings on your land. You restored the fortunes of Israel. You forgave the guilt of your people. Yes, you covered all their sins. You held back your fury. You kept back your blazing anger. Hey, is anybody struggling to follow Jesus in that one? Now, restore us again. O oh God of our salvation, put aside your anger against us once more. Will you be angry with us always? Will you prolong your wrath to all generations? Won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O oh Lord, and grant us your salvation. Amen? Listen, my revival happens when I wake up and confess my need. When I wake up, he talks about rise up, wake up. When I wake up and I confess my need, I recognize the source and respond with expectant faith towards Christ, the light of life. It, it's my responsibility to act in that way towards Christ so that the miracle that he can work in me can take place. i give you my, my main reflection here. My first one this morning is we must confess our need for revival. My personal revival, i got to confess my need. It has an effect on the world around me. It has an effect on the church. And we're going to start with the world. See, the psalmist's prayer was a confession of need. That's the, the first thing we have to do. It's like, well, I don't need a revival. If we don't come to that place, then we won't experience the life-giving presence of God that revives us. Multitudes are without God in the world. Most are outside the church. And revival is the key to bringing hope to the hopeless. All I know is that somebody that lived for Jesus shared the gospel with me. And because they shared the gospel with me, it brought me to life. I said already that I bought the fire insurance when I was 12 years old. What was that? See, baptism is supposed to be a reflection of an inward faith. I was told if I get baptized in water now, again, not that they preached it wrong. It's how I heard it. And I thought, so I get baptized in water and I don't go to hell? Yeah. Oh, I'm in, man. I mean, why wouldn't I be in for that? All I got to do is dunk in that water one time and I'm going to heaven and I can go do whatever I want now. Somehow I miss the, the fullness of the message is that it's meant to transform my life. I'm meant to look like Jesus, not like the world. Amen. And so at 19... Uh, you know, and I'm doing whatever I want. How many of you have done whatever you want in your life at times? Come on. It's like, I ain't admitting that. All right, let me take it back to the beginning of the message. All right, humble, contrite, a broken spirit, and repentant. All right, how many of you have messed up in your life, done whatever you want to do? All we like sheep have gone astray, we've gone our own way. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let's go ahead and nail that down. Done. The beauty is, is that Jesus extends the invitation for us to come. And have a revival. To have hope where it's hopeless. So at 19 I hear a message about. If it was just me. That a heavenly father. That a father gave his son to die in my place. And that's because he loved me. And wanted me to be his son. Wanted me to be in his family. 
And it was that message that, that just, I'll never forget. Just, I was sitting in the front row of this service. And I'm in the church service, Angie's parents, I went with them, and I'm sitting there. And the pastor's preaching about that. God's love. He loved me so much. Every individual, if it was only you, Jesus was thinking about you on the cross. I know it's hard to fathom, but you're talking about the omnipresent, omniscient, right? God. He's everywhere. He knows everything. Beginning and the end. Before the foundations of the earth. He was, he is, and he is to come. So he was, and at that moment he is in my life, and I start to see what is to come in my life because of his love. And I remember sitting there, can't explain, as tears are just coming out. I mean, I'm sitting there listening to him. I really, I can't say that I was like moved so emotionally as much as it was just, there was a revel, I, I knew that this was true and it was for me. And tears are just popping out of my eyes. And I'm sitting there going, what is wrong with me? And I'm thinking, I, I'm losing my, what is going on? And I could feel, as it were, as described in Acts 2, that it cut them to the quick, the heart. They felt pricked in their heart. It was conviction. It was conviction. I didn't feel condemned. I didn't feel like, well, go to hell, go directly to hell. Do not pass go, go directly to hell. I felt a, my sin hung him on the cross. He descended in the lower parts of the earth and took the keys of hell and death. See, death lost its thing to anyone that places their life in Christ. And that starts to dawn on me, and I start to realize, man, he died for me because he loved me. It's not, it's not hey, I died for you so you don't have to go to hell. Are you hearing me right now? Hell's a real place. Heaven's a real place. And I want you to know that it's bigger than Jesus died for you so you could go to heaven and so you couldn't go to hell or wouldn't go to hell he died for you so you'd have a relationship with the father he died for you to have a close real genuine relationship with you and I said I think last week sometimes when I pray or I'm talking to God people be like man he's kind of crazy nobody talks to God that way hmm. do you know Jesus in human form talked to the father that way you go and read his prayers. Study the prayers of Jesus, and what you see is him talking to God, the same as if I'm sitting in a room talking to my hey, baby, what are you doing today? Now, I don't say, hey, to God. <laughs> that was a bad illustration. Huh. Hey, Angie, what are you doing today? Wake up in the morning, and you're kind of like, hey, God, what are you doing today? Weird thing is, how not weird. Strange thing for me is, is that pretty much every day with God is like the same thing I was doing yesterday. We'll be doing that today and forevermore. Y'all getting some theology out of this. That I wake up and it's it was about Jesus. It's about Jesus and it will always be about Jesus. Because he was the hope of the world, is the hope of the world, and will be forevermore. Right? Sorry to get teary on you. See, I look at it this. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Without God in our lives, there's no real hope. There might be, well, I got hope to live this life. I, you know, I got a good job. Things are going okay. 
we'll see more about that in a moment. It's limited, right? I want it, I want eternal life. I don't want temporary life. I want eternal life. So we must confess our need for revival. The second thing here is we need revival in our church. Many churches are worldly, formal, and lacking in spiritual power and vitality. The Bible says um, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Only revival can alter this situation. The people in the church of Sardis, one of the churches, the seven churches in the book of Revelation that was written to. Angie, would you bring me a tissue? They were faced with the same need for revival that we are. Revelations 3, 2 through 3 in the Amplified Version. Wake up and strengthen and reaffirm what remains of your faithful commitment to me. Meaning Jesus. Which is about to die. For I have not found any of you, excuse me, any of your deeds completed in the, in the sight of my God. Or meeting his requirements. So remember and take heart the lessons you have uh, received and heard. Keep and obey them and repent. There it is again. And repent. I already asked the question. Raise your hand if you've achieved perfection. None of us. You know what that means? Almost on a given daily basis, there's something we could repent of. Maybe it is the way we're treating the people that are around us. Maybe it is, you know, be it family, be it friends. Maybe it's that, you know, we find ourselves lying and we shouldn't lie. Cheating and we shouldn't cheat. Stealing and we shouldn't steal. Repent. Change your sinful way of thinking and demonstrate your repentance with new behavior that proves a conscience or excuse me, conscious decision, I want to go to the con conscious decision to turn away from sin. So then, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Now, if you remember, there's a point where Jesus says that he'll come as a thief in the night. I want to be close to Jesus. You know, people are like, well, when's he coming back? Well, I can see this happening and that happening in the world. So you know what? Maybe Jesus is coming back this year or maybe he's coming back in two years or maybe 10 years from now. Or I don't really get wrapped up in that. I get wrapped up and if I stay close to Jesus, whenever he comes back, I'm going with him. Come on. But if I don't stay close to Jesus, I won't know when he's coming. How many of you know that God tells his secrets to his servants, the prophets? How many of you know that you're called to be a prophetic people? And how many of you know that what makes you prophetic is being near the Spirit of God? Having the Spirit living in you, that God is revealing to you what He is doing. And if you wake up in the morning, you're like, hey God, what are you doing today? Well, Derek, uh, what I did yesterday is what I'm doing today, and that's what we'll be doing, right? Forever. It's all about Jesus. It's God that gave him a name that's higher than any other name. Whereby, at the name of Jesus Christ, right? Men must be saved, but every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Either here and now saved or one day when judgment comes, you know, it's not going to be like, oh, I don't think that's him. <laughs> Bible says the heavens will roll back like a scroll and he'll come back. He's coming back to receive a bride that's without spot or wrinkle. That's a reference to us, the church, people that are following Christ. We need revival 
in our lives. That's the my revival, that specific individual revival that we're meant to have with Christ. How frequently we fail, our testimony seems ineffective, and how little we pray. God wants to strengthen every one of us with his power. And revival in our personal life is the way that that happens. I don't know about you, but I have to work hard at waking in the morning, get my Bible. Well, it's not that way anymore. A lot of times it's get my Bible, right? Anybody else read their Bible on their phone? There's these great apps, you know, the Bible app, and you've got uh, uh, Gateway Bible. And I see people that will post their scripture readings for the day. It's a beautiful thing, you know, and in, in a sense, other people start to comment. There's an accountability in that, and you become a voice of encouragement to other people to pursue God through his word. And I wanted you to know that that's the greatest conversation you can have is in God's word each and every day. And then in the midst of that, you're calling on his spirit to come and fill you. Listen here in Ephesians 4, 23 through 24. Now your attitudes and thoughts must all be constantly changing for the better. Yes, you must be a new and different person, holy and good. Clothe yourself with this new nature. Clothe yourself with this new nature. Now I want you for a moment to understand where, where Paul is using that clothe yourself. Do, I don't know if you understand this, but you go back to the Garden of Eden, you know Adam and Eve didn't wear any clothes. They're buck naked in there. You know what I mean? They're naked in the Garden of Eden, but they didn't know they was naked. Why didn't they know they was naked? Because they were clothed with God's glory. God's glory is what clothed them. And the moment that they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they, they, they become, quote unquote, like God. This is what the devil sold them the bill of goods, that they'd be like God. No, they were already like God. They're clothed with his glory. There's no shame. You know, they don't see nakedness. You know, it's God's creation in all its splendor. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, what do they do? It's kind of like, uh, maybe those fig leaves will do it. Snap a fig leaf. How's that? That covers everything, right? No. It's what we do with our sin. We start thinking that just a little, well, I'll just cover that up and I'll cover that up. Let the forgiveness of God cover your sins. What is that? It's the glory of God coming back into your life to wash them away and to clothe you again with his glory. Now, please, no one take that physically that you don't need to wear clothes next week to church. <laughs> and everybody said, Amen. Look, there will never be a revival until we are willing to admit our need for it. Second main point, we must recognize our source for revival. We need it, and there's a source for revival in our lives. Where does revival come from? It comes from God. It's not worked up, it's sent down. It's not something we work up, it's something that God sends down in our life. Psalm 62, 11, God says there is one thing you can really depend on one thing you can really depend on and I believe it strength comes from God strength comes from God look at what the NIV says one thing God has spoken two things I've heard power belongs to you God there when he says two things I've heard basically what he's saying is I've heard this more than once that power belongs to God and if power belongs to God I just got to make my connection with God. I got to have my relationship and pursue him. And what does he do? Let's go back to our original scripture. I got to approach him right, contrite and humble, repentant, right? When I approach him that way, 
He says he wants me to dwell. Those whose hearts are this way dwell with me in that holy place. He wants you to be there with him. When we look to people and things, we get what they can do. People and things, we get what they can do. And let me tell you, it's limited. When Angie looks to me to be her all in all, it's very limited. And Angie said, I'm limited. Let me tell you, I'm not the all in all, and I can't be all in all. It's like, how are you going to fix this, and how are you going to fix that? And she doesn't do that. Let me tell you, she doesn't nag on me too much. (laughs) And vice versa, she's not my all in all. You know, let's think about it this way. How often, husbands, do we go home and we vent to our wives about our bosses or, you know, the work or the challenges or the problems we have, and we dump it all on them, and they're just like, you know, you do all understand you're supposed to be the strong one in the relationship, to hold your wife, and you come home and you dump everything on them, and sometimes they're working jobs too, and they're watching kids, and they're, right? Oh, come on. Things just got real, didn't they? I'm not her all in all. She's not mine. You're not your spouse's all in all, and they're not yours. Your parents aren't your all in all. Your kids aren't your all in all. Your friends. They are very important relationships in your life. But let me say that God is the one that's meant to be there. I got to tell you, when I start complaining to God, do you know how fast I find myself because I know the word of God, how quick he's like, hey, Derek, go back and read that story of Job again. Nope, don't need to do it. Read it, know what's in there. No problem. I know where you're going with that one, Lord. Hey, man, cast your care upon the Lord because he cares what? For you. So my venting changes to prayer. My frustrations change to prayer. My accusations change to, oh, you guys aren't following me, are you? My accusations, like, oh, they this and they that. My accusations change to, shifts to prayer. And then I begin to pray for the people in my life. And God knows Angie needs to pray a lot because she's married to me. And I throw that out for you guys to know someone's married to you. Or someone's in relationship with you in some fashion or another. And it's like, yeah, man, they got it easy. Well, let's go back to our first scripture about being humble and contrite. And Come on, right? We all tend to think the other person's worse than, than we are. And I got to tell you, we all got our junk, amen? Listen, uh, so people are limited. Things are limited. Your money's limited. Oh, I got enough money. I'm good to go. No, your money's limited. Now, my car, yeah, well, your car will wear out. Can I get an amen? The tires on my car, man, they're great. Yeah, for about, you know, 30,000 miles, and then you, you know, if you treat them good. I don't tend to. But with God, with God, when we look to him, we get what God can do. Look to people, look to things, look to stuff, we get what they can do. Look to God, we get what he can do. And what God can do is supernatural. It is amazing what God can do. Perfect story. Woman with the issue of blood. 12 years. She's gone to doctors. She's seeking everything she possibly can with this issue of blood, the flow of blood that she's basically bleeding to death. And if something doesn't happen, she's going to die. She does everything she can, spends her money. See, doctors are great, but there's a limitation, right? Money will buy you medicine or to buy you treatment, but uh, money only goes so far. Amen? So all of those things as they 
as, as they kind of play themselves out. And, and actually, I would submit there to you why we need revival is because that's all the bickering and fighting that we see in our country is people are fighting and bickering over what they're going to get. Come on. And I tell you, we need revival. You know, in, in uh, the early 1900s, when you take, you know, the world wars, you look at those times, you look at when people couldn't look to their stuff, when then they didn't know who they could depend on, they started looking back to God and revival hit our nation. And you want to know what happened is, is the nation came back. Why? Because the nation turned back to God. That prayer, if my people will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and pray, then I will hear from heaven and I will come and heal their land. See, we take the part, it's like we pray and God's going to come and heal our land. He's going to bless us again. No, no. If we'll humble ourselves and be contrite and repentant and turn from our wicked ways. What is that? Turn. Repentance. And I want to tell you that we want to throw that prayer out nice and comfy and say, God, we're praying, so come heal our land. And God's like, I haven't seen much change in your nation. I haven't seen much change in the church for that matter. People in the church, this is one of the major complaints. Is people in the church, I don't know I don't know how to get to Jesus really because, you know, the people who follow Jesus look kind of like the world. I better move on. You guys aren't going to like me. When we turn to God, that woman turned to Jesus. If I can just get close to Jesus, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I know. Say, I know. I know I'll be made whole. And she gets close to him. She has to press through the crowd, touches the hem of his garment, and boom, she's made whole in that very moment. Jesus, like, does a freeze frame, and his disciples are walking through him, and it's called a throng of people. Anybody know what a throng of people is? Right, hitting each other, walking through the crowd. You ever been in a crowd like that and you're running into people and you're trying to get through? That's what it was like. So Jesus has been touched by a lot of people going through that crowd. And he's like, hey, who, who touched me? And the disciples are like, who touched you? It actually records this. Who touched, he asked who's touched. I, I don't know which of the 150 people that just touched you are you talking about, Lord? No, 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 no. I'm not talking about a physical touch. I'm talking about a touch of faith. Talking to, because the Bible says he felt virtue leave his body. He felt the power of God in him pour out of him into another person because faith connected with it and drew upon it. Got to recognize he's the source. She recognized he's the source. If I can just get close to Jesus, if I can just touch him with a little bit of faith. I know I'm going to be made whole. What is that being made whole in, your, whole in your life? What is it that you need from Jesus? Today is a day for you to recognize that and understand that it's, it's not just for the gifts and, and what he gives you, but, but he understands your need. And he wants to meet it because he also wants that to do nothing but ignite your faith even more and so that your witness to others would draw them to Jesus as well. Psalm 62 and 5 says, Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. He's our source. And if we see him as the source of hope, then there's great potential for revival. Why? Because as I said, it was faith in that woman's heart. But remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You may not see God's healing in your life right now. You may not see his blessings in, in, in your life, in your finances, your job, or whatever that may be. You may not see it in your relationships right now. 
You may not see it in, in many of the other things you may be thinking right now as I talk about the areas. You're not seeing the blessing of God. But I want you to know that if you'll turn to him, hope can be restored in your heart and faith can begin to grow. And if you then start to draw near to Jesus each and every day in your life, I don't know your moment, but I know the moment you touch Jesus with a heart full of faith of who he is in your life, your life's going to change. Listen to this. We must approach God with expectant faith. We have to come to him with an expectation. We can't make revival happen, but we have a part approaching God in faith. Hebrews eleven six. This is the message Bible. Listen to this. By an act of faith, Enoch skipped death completely. They looked all over and couldn't find him because God had taken him. We know on the basis of reliable testimony, that means more than one person talking about it, that before he was taken, he pleased God. Enoch knew he, pleased, he walked with God. The Bible says he walked with God. He was near to God. I don't want to be near to God like that. I don't know about you, but when you think about uh, he didn't taste death, here's the beauty of it. The moment that you accepted Jesus Christ in your life, you're not going to taste death. Do you, realize, do you realize the story of Enoch is an Old Testament type and shadow of what came in the New Testament when Christ died on the cross? That old hymn that says, just a closer walk with thee. That every day I wake up, Jesus, I want a closer walk with you. Here's the reality of it. Enoch didn't taste death. He pleased God and he took him. Let me tell you how you're pleasing to God. Through his son, Jesus Christ. He looks at you through his son's sacrifice. And you're pleasing to him. Now working all that out and living for him and drawing near to him, it's your part. But let me tell you, there's nothing you're ever going to do that's going to be better or greater than what Jesus did for you. That's grace. Amen? Unmerited favor. You ain't earning it. God gave it to you. But now that you've been given that kind of life through Jesus Christ, walk worthy of it. That's what I'm talking about here. Walk worthy of what Christ died on the cross to give you. Amen? Hmm. He pleased God. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. I love how the Message Bible says that. That when you approach him with that expectant faith, that you believe in him, he cares enough to respond to you. That's why when I think about my prayers with God when I talk to him, and I, I remember specifically at 19 years old, giving my life to Christ, going to Germany, and one specific guy, I would, you know, well, the Holy Spirit, the, you know, the Holy Spirit kind of impressed upon me. You know, I feel like God, you know, spoke this to me. Not, I'm not talking audible. God didn't go, Derek, from heaven, I would like to call the AD. You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't you all like God to just, hey, man, you know, God, could you just, you know, could you, like, take pastor's mic and just start talking to me right now? You know, the Bible says it's the still, small voice. He, an impression. He begins to speak to you, nudge you the way you should go. And I want you to know that God wants that. He will respond to you. And you'll sense his presence. It'll change your life. Amen? As I close the day, let me point out that that word expectation, prostokal, is the word prostokal. To wait or look for, to expect, prostokal. 
to wait, look for, to expect. And we find it in Luke 3, 15 through 16, where people had an expectation. Look, now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. Can you, can you say this for me? Say contrite, humble, broken, and repentant. Now where John's at, he's saying, man, I, I'm not even worthy. John had a humble spirit, but yet John was the loudest voice for the kingdom of God during that time. Pharisees and Sadducees, people came all, from all over to a wilderness place to observe what was going on with John the Baptist in the wilderness, baptizing people in the Jordan River. Everybody was coming out to see what was going on with John the Baptist. And they thought that maybe he's the Messiah. They're coming in for, for baptism. That's okay. Stay focused. They're thinking he's the Messiah. And John, with a humble spirit, lets them know he's not the Messiah. But when the Messiah comes, he's not, you're not just going to be baptized in water. But you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit in fire. There's going to be revival that's going to sweep across this whole area and around the world when the Messiah comes. Amen. And that's exactly what Jesus did. So my revival happens when I wake up and confess my need, recognize my source, and respond with expectant faith towards Christ, the light of life. And today we're going to baptize some folks who have acknowledged that in their own life repented of their sins and you know people don't like to talk about that anymore repent of your sins it's like well how dare you tell me to repent of my sins somebody told me and I'm glad they did you know when Jesus came he said repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and let me say that that message is not the message of the gospel repent is that you need a savior and if you with faith reach out and accept him He'll free you from your sins. He'll wash those sins away. You'll receive eternal life. And again, it's not so you can escape hell and get to heaven. It is so that you can have a living relationship with the light of the world. Amen. Jesus Christ. So we want to invite those that are getting baptized to the platform this morning.